Hello. What's going on, brother? How's it going, sir? Good, good. Good morning, folks. You are listening to the Dead Man's Coffee Club. I'm Tyler Fleming. I'm Anthony Fisher. How's it going? It's good, man. I'm sitting here with some some cinnamon toast. It's a uh, it's a little treat that I used to make myself when I was a a poor kid in Southwest Georgia. We just like toast up some bread, throw a ton of butter on it, and um, sprinkle it with some cinnamon and some sugar. So um, I'm reminiscing on my childhood while I drank oh, my coffee. So it's. He's- He's dropping story time on you in the first 50 seconds. It's pretty episode. good. It's pretty good. It's nostalgia. Good, good. Nostalgia. How are you? It's good sometimes. Uh, I am eating uh, a waffle cookie, drinking coffee, and our, our, our youngest decided that, you know <laughs> what? I'm going to sleep in all week. But on today, no, sir. Don't give him that. Right. He's attempting to fit, feed our dog pancakes. Because he has eaten his fill and now he wants to be a good pet, <laughs> pet parent and feed her dog pancakes. No. Stop doing I that. I mean, at, at least they're not going to waste, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if I seem to be talking to a ghost in the room, it's actually a little human who is now being carried by me. <laughs> there we go, buddy. Yeah, it, on the bright side, he is in good spirits this morning, oh, yeah. so that's a that's a, a plus. Hundred percent. I'm, I'm only hoping that when my daughter wakes up, that uh, she'll spirits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And as long as these headphones don't get ripped out this time, we are good. Because <laughs> the last <laughs> couple minutes of our last episode, I was talking to nobody. All right. So, what do you? What's on your mind, man? What do you want to talk about today? Mm. So I don't know if you cool cats follow me on the Instagram. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. Knowledge. That's fine. You know, it's just Instagram. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But <laughs> but uh, this week, I and I've, I've made more of a habit over the last couple of weeks to be more vocal about... Things, things that burden my heart in terms of race and uh, in terms of the state of, of my faith and just in terms of the, the issues and the plights of being an American and and not just being an American, but as I phrase it to a good friend of mine, being as so bold as to ask, but what if I'm wrong? I think that there's a lot of value in that question. What if I'm wrong? And I think that that's kind of, you know, the whole red or blue pill matrix thing that, you know, you deal with, like, as soon as you ask yourself that question, earnestly and honestly, everything changes. And 
you constantly ask yourself those things. You're constantly testing facts. You're constantly seeking, excuse me, you're constantly seeking, you know, disconfirming information to see whether or not what you've held is true for so long still stands or if new values or new ideas are flying in the face of that thing. And so I'm constantly in this place where I'm asking myself, all right, you know, what if I'm wrong? And so I, I have started to record some of my thoughts as I evolve, as I change, as I transform and grow and become this, this, this person that I do hope is more equipped to be a tool for, you know, the shared suffering with my black and brown brothers and sisters here in the United States and abroad, as well as, you know, just anyone who is not a part of the dominant culture. And so I've been ranting, you know, three to five minutes here and there on the Instagrams. And my most recent post had to do with pointing back to your sources. And I just have this sneaking suspicion that whenever you deal with woke white people or just white people in general, what you're dealing with also is, you know, this, this very Elvis Presley sort of pirating of black real estate, right? So Chuck Berry was, was first on the scene, but we gave all the props to Elvis. And so we don't point back. We take it and we, we pirate it and we brand it as our own. And instead, in order to truly, I think, be an ally to disenfranchised folks, to non-dominant culture folks, I think it's important that we allow them to have their own voice. And in order to share in their suffering, in order to, to come alongside them and, and not only share in their suffering, but to lift them up and, 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 and support, support them, I think that it is very important to give credit where credit is due. Because oftentimes these ideas and these thoughts and these rants even are not simply my own. They have been informed somehow, some way. I've spoken to someone. I've listened to a podcast. I've read a book. I've read an article. I've, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I have acquired this information and this truth from somewhere and that goes with anything and it does everyone a disservice when I take that truth and when I take that knowledge and wisdom 
and I brand it as my own. And I seek the praise of others for my non-melanated wokeness instead of saying, look, I'm just, I'm just saying this one time for the people in the back, for the folks in the back who couldn't say these things themselves or who wouldn't be heard. And so in order to, to use your privilege as an advantage for the sake of non-dominant culture folks who's, who've been saying these things for years and years and years and years and years, I think that it is of like unequivocal importance to big of those people and to just like give ups to them and say, look, homeboy has been saying this since 1965. This is where this comes from, but you're only hearing it from me because you identify with my skin color. And otherwise, had it not been for this dude in 65, I wouldn't even be able to relay this information. Right. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy. And this is who informed me. This is where I, I gained this truth and this knowledge and this understanding. Props to him. Don't, don't, don't make big of me. It's this whole like John the Baptist thing. It's like, no, like, don't follow me. I'm just the messenger. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm helping to blaze a trail, but this guy who's coming, this guy who, who I'm talking about is, 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 is bigger and greater than even me. And I think that that's kind of the approach that we have to take is that, Hey, yeah, I'm saying this stuff. Yeah. It, it, it has transformed my perspective and my life. Of course it matters. And, it has its value and its weight, but I didn't come up with it. And there are brothers and sisters who have died, who have used their voices to the point of going hoarse and have not been recognized for their contribution to lifting up disenfranchised people. And I think that it's, it's high time that we step down and step back and allow those voices to be heard and acknowledge those voices, even if they are first heard through the words that we say. For sure. <clears throat> so one, I just want to uh, thank you for starting us off. Two, I yeah, want to let everybody know we have a little listener. He's grabbed <laughs> my other headphone and is now learning what headphones do. So he is now somewhat on the line listening uh, <laughs> and uh, three I just want to continue the conversation so everything you know that Anthony said I, I agree with I just want to kind of swing back to where he started in the idea of shared suffering right and I think um, this idea of shared suffering we can also talk about it. no you can't have that one 
You, this is where the <laughs> mic is. I need this one here. Put it. Put this by your ear. You'll hear. Um, this idea of shared suffering really uh, relates to the idea of empathy, right? So sympathy oh, yeah. is when you feel for someone, but empathy is this idea when you feel with someone, right? You that's good to yeah. the best of your ability. You try to put yourself in someone's shoes and ex- and and feel the experiences of person that you know might have a different experience than you which every person has a different experience than you but particularly if we're talking about race in america it's a it's a very different uh ball game um and uh when you were sharing uh through your instagram video which folks should watch I, I still don't know how people do the like swipe, swipe, swipe video kind of thing where it continues. That's oh, I definitely have not You're... been doing that the fancy way where people like edit their videos. I just stopped the video because I'm looking at the face forward camera. And once it reaches oh. like 55 seconds, I stop it and restart it. Oh, look at that. That's Life amazing. hacks, people. That's, that's you smart. That is smart. Um, so here we go. Um, but when you were talking about that, you know, the first thing that came up to mind for me was uh, cite your sources, right? This uh, and it's been like those three words had to count them out for myself uh, have been, you know, a series of words that have stuck with me over the last 10 or so years. Um, and I think I can really thank and this is where I'm going to start citing my sources, right? Dr. Dylan Minor, Dr. Estrella Torres, Dr. Therese Keensetel-Momberg. Um, those three folks were my mentors in undergrad, and they kind of showed me the value of uh, how you can write research, how you can use particular language and things of that nature to make it more inviting for folks, right? Um, and it, which doesn't make it less scholarly, but it's also always important that you are 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 being honest and true about whose ideas you're sharing, right? And sometimes it can feel like you're not you're not saying anything of your own, you're just connecting other folks' ideas. But if you think about it, right, everything's been said and done before, right? There's nothing new under the sun, mm. but it's the way that a uh, white supremacist system, which uh, you've been calling the dominant culture, right? The way that that system works is it systematically erases black brown um and everybody else vo- voices right right so we're talking about asian folks we're talking about folks who uh, oh, wow. identify with yep you're talking into nothing buddy um folks who identify across uh the sexuality spectrum um <clears throat> voices that have told important and powerful stories but the way that the current system is set up is these are not the ones the stories you're going to see right right right. and so no no relax um and the way this kind of works in like everyday life for folks to relate to Oh, you're going to put that in my ear? Thank you, buddy. He's putting my headphone back in my ear. Oh, sweet. Um, oh, wow. Look, I can hear everything now. Thank <laughs> you. Um, the way this works is like when you turn on the news, right? Right. And you're watching all the crimes that are happening. Now, 
tell me, because I don't live in Georgia, but tell me that, you know, 75, 80, 90, 95, 99% of those, you're not going to see a black male or uh, a black or brown male involved in the violent crime that gets played on repeat all day. Right. Right. The same crime gets played on repeat all day. And what does that do to your mental picture? Right. That tells a story that the only story that black men or black and brown men have to tell is a violent crime. Right. Which. Mama. Yeah. She's asleep. If <laughs> we're talking about percentages here is not an accurate one. Right. It's definitely not an, the accurate story. Right. But they don't cite their sources. They just say, like, you know, we have this video da, 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 and we're going to play this over and over and over and over again which changes people's mental picture and erases and erases folks who have a different perspective and it erases the, the system that has been put into place that created that, that violent situation in the first place. Right. So I think the, the reason from my perspective that it's so important, particularly as white folks, that we cite our sources is that if we don't, Right. If we don't cite our sources, um, then we are continuing a system which has, by design, removed credit where credit is due. Right. For countless, um, countless, like more than you can possibly comprehend uh, contributions in across every field that you can possibly imagine. Right, and that's why, um, like a movie, like uh, nope, 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 <laughs> hidden figures or something like that, right, is so damn important. Right. But why has it taken however many, many ah. years it's been, fifty some years, sixty years, for us to even acknowledge that there was a different story, right? Right. That right. For these people to get to this place, aka the moon, something that doesn't really matter. Uh, that there were a ton of black women who were doing the complex mathematics to right. make that happen. Right. Right. And that they were called computers, right? Before there were actual computers. And that's just like an, uh, an example that came up in my mind just now. No, that's good. Which, you know, is probably not a perfect portrayal of what actually happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But why is it that we. 60 years later are just now somewhat telling that story so that young folks some crazy odd years later just now are for the first time hearing of this story in the uh, public media space, which public media has such a large impact on what our minds think is normal and good, right? And so it's really, it's important to cite our sources because it's this subtle way that we don't see, right? We don't see the way it changes people's perspective. And that's why conversations like this um, between two apparently white guys, I'm definitely white for sure, uh, <laughs> in, the, in society, it's important that we um, always cite our sources right. to you know, keep this conversation rooted where it needs to be rooted. Oh yeah. Um, so absolutely. And um speaking of 
citing your sources, I definitely was given the Elvis Chuck Berry example through Lecrae's latest album. He has done an excellent job on All Things Work Together to create an album that despite his perspective as a Christian speaks to more than just white evangelical millennials and I think that it is excellent and if that's your thing, I would listen to it. But I could I could be wrong. Lecrae is a black dude, though, right? Yes, yes, he is. He is. But when when you look at the whole of like Christian rap music, for the most part, you have to look at the fact that here are a bunch of dudes, mainly black men, who are rapping to appease a white audience. And just like we talked about in terms of the you know, in dominant culture. And that's, that's something that you will hear me refer to often. Uh, I do hear that phrase from Dr. Carl Ellis a lot. Dr. Carl Ellis is a theologian. He is a teacher. He has an amazing perspective on the state of, of Christianity. And so, he uses the term dominant culture very often to regard the the culture or the people because it's not always the majority right. that is the dominant culture. It is the group, the people group that has control over the narrative, right? Yep. And so that's what I mean. And when you hear me say dominant culture, I want you to remember that that is not speaking specifically to white people because I think that the picture is way bigger than just black and white. You know, it's, it's, it's much more grand than that. If, if we had this reductionist point of view regarding black and white, then everything is going to simply have to do with race. Yeah. And I, I think that while race is a huge factor, it is not the only factor. And we are doing ourselves and we are doing justice a disservice when we simply reduce it to color. For sure. And so when you hear me say dominant culture, I might be referring to men. Oh, yeah. I might be referring to uh, whiteness. You know, it, 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 it will vary and it has its context. And so yeah. um, when, when I say dominant culture, that's what I mean. And I think that, you know, when we talk about citing your sources, just like you were saying, like what I think about, and you even brought up your mentors in college, like, I think about writing papers, right? Mm. And you know, everything had to be either Chicago or MLA. And mm. when we did that, it was a means of validating the our information. Yeah. And so by not doing that, by not citing our sources, by not pointing back to where this information came from, 
you know, it could also just be perceived that, you know, we're pulling it out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And in reality, a real person with a real perspective who had real experiences, you know, who may have been educated in a particular school of thought, developed an idea. And what more of a, of a great way to validate that idea than to refer to where that idea was derived from where it, where it came from. And so I think it's, it's of the most importance to do that. But when you look at dominant culture, what you often see is them being able to take these concepts and these ideas and sell them off as their own. And I'd like to give an example because it's something that within the last maybe two weeks, I have really had to have a heart check on because I didn't realize that it was appropriating a particular culture's perspective for the benefit of dominant culture folks. And so this is what I mean, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get to the meat and potatoes of it, but I go to a church and it's, you know, associated with one of the bigger churches in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they, they talk about relatively often is the idea of telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. That stories, that individual stories matter and, and that those stories have the potential to point us back to God. And when we look at the way that even the scripture is taught on Sunday morning, there's always some sort of like side-by-side life experience that has kind of coincided with and agrees with the scripture and the point that is being made. Yeah. And so I've never really thought much about it until recently. And I know from experience that for the most part, dominant culture has always portrayed Christianity as having deep epistemological value. And by that, what I mean is it is, it is got so many rules and doctrines and dogmatic elements that inform us of who God is and kind of guide our path. Mm-hmm. And we don't base our faith off of stories. We base our faith off of solid facts or what we perceive as the facts of our faith. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't point to it in some educational you know, context and by that, if, 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 if no theologian has 
discuss this idea in depth and has other theologians in the same and similar camps coming behind this idea mm-hmm. and this thought, then it's probably nothing to focus my attention on and it should be cast aside. And so we base our faith off of what we perceive as Christian truth right? and not necessarily stories yet. When you look at the black church and again, the black church exists because white folks couldn't get it together enough to realize that, Hey, these people are people and God loves them just as much as they love me. And chances are God looks a lot more like them and not just in skin tone, but in, in, in a, a, societal context mm-hmm. you know looks more like them than he looks like me anyways so why wouldn't god love them but when you look at the black church what you see oftentimes is as dr carl ellis would refer to it is this b-side of faith that focuses on narrative and it focuses on the storytelling aspect and it focuses on um allowing people to identify with the faith and with the scriptures in a way that is not necessarily steeped in solely an academic perspective on God. Right. And so my, my church talks about stories. Well, what's another word for a, an individual's story that showcases and puts God on display in that person's life. A testimony. Where do you hear about testimonies? That notion, that idea is deeply rooted in the black Christian experience. Mm -hmm. Yet what I've noticed, and it, it may have even been subconscious, is that my church uses story and narrative much more than they do epistemology, much more than they do academic Christianity to put the gospel on display. Yet, I have not once heard it referenced that this idea, that this way of doing things was informed by the black Christian experience. Yeah. But Go ahead. at Go the on. same time, and I'm almost done at the same time, like you can't, you can't look me in my eyes and tell me that narrative, that the idea of making the gospel personal to the individual, you can't tell me that that idea was, was with John Calvin and, you know, Zwingli and, you know, Karl Barth. You can't tell me that, that those guys were talking about narrative. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yet those are the people who have informed, you know, majority culture's perspective on the faith. And so now we have narrative in the picture, but where does this narrative come from? Where do these stories come from? They come from black folks, right. but we haven't given that credit. And I, I think that that's a problem. And I think that it's, it does black people, it does brown people, it does disenfranchised people a disservice to steal their contributions without giving them credit. And it puts them in more of a deficit than they were before. Because now anything that could have potentially, you know, been linked to and have given equity is now taken. Yeah. For sure. And I think we see this, I mean, because, again, pouring a little bit more coffee here. Yeah, I just had to do the same thing. Um, What we see here is this is the case regardless of the field, right? I'm not, I would not consider myself Christian. I would not consider myself religious. So, like, some of what Anthony's talking about is a little bit outside of my direct experience, right? But I also, you know, have always taught in black schools with and thankfully and some of them more black folks than than not and so um with that right uh, on the christian front an experience of testimony right uh and how like just for example how god god works in folks lives is a common thread right even though you know we have this quote, separation of church and state, which would be church and schools, um, there's always this strong sense within the schools that I've worked of the uh, faith of a lot of the teachers. Right. Right. Um, So we see this. And then, you know, kind of to give some more context to the thing, because I think that's important to give, you know, multiple examples of like where does this show up right right well let's look at let's look at uh something that also matters right hip-hop to me right and hip-hop is oh my goodness buddy is and has roots in the black experience right the 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 first big kind of movement coming out of new york um was form of block parties for black folks right it's and has since been adopted by communities everywhere all over the world right i'm currently wearing a a sweater for uh from the the homie good human uh bamboo bamboo de pistola um out of la but he will say regularly that it's it's a black art right and he says that as a brown man right and he says that as a brown man who was involved in gang activities and he says that as a a brown man who you know has a particular experience in the world and who does work daily to work on this system right but even 
even within, you know, the realm of like independent um, underground hip hop, right? I didn't. So there, there's this guy, you might have heard of him. Um, his name's Macklemore. <laughs> and uh, I heard about him through Bamboo, through the Blue Scholars, another Filipino. Well, not just Filipino, but uh, another brown uh, hip hop um, group out of Seattle. I, that's where I heard about Macklemore when he, he wasn't shit, right? And yet, right, I have, and, you know, we, we will regularly hear old white folks or just parents or whatever saying, oh, this hip-hop is so terrible, it's all bad, da-da-da-da-da, right? It's all bad, but then they're the first folks to hop on Macklemore's music. They're mm-hmm. the first folks to say, Oh, listen to this. He raps about all this good stuff. He da 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 da. <clears throat> that is a prime example. And, you know, for what is worth, he somewhat tries to, you know, recognize his privilege. He has a song, an old song, way before he's, he was famous, called White Privilege. But um, his music would not have been as successful had he been a black artist, right? As would not have been as widely accepted where you have soccer moms and grandmas trying to listen to his music. Um, that, that wouldn't happen, right? The, right? the same is true in academia as it is, you know, in the church where the, the, the dominant voice that we hear, right, is old white men, Right regardless of the field of study, whether it's science, whether it's social science, whether it's education, it's always an old white dude. And if you go back <coughs> to this dude, uh, Descartes, Descartes, something like that, this French guy, I, I believe he's French. Descartes, yeah. Descartes, yeah. Um, you know, this idea of separating the body and the mind, like that your, your body's just here to walk your brain around. Is that very... <laughs> Just an old white guy who's upset about life, right? And yet that is that became such a huge factor and became such a huge part of not only, right, not only like academia, but how we look at schools in general now, right? Like how schools actually function now, how schools are designed now, where like kids are locked down on desks and like don't actually have education in their experiences which still happen regardless of the system around them, right? Which still have which still have a ton of value regardless of, you know, the, the, how messed up the world around them is. Some of these old ideas from old white folks that are, have yet to evolve um, they're part of the reason why Stuff is messed up. And then we wonder why <clears throat> when a system is designed, right, designed to, in this way, that we're not seeing as much uh, uh, success. When, when things are written for a particular audience, then that's why this happens. And <clears throat> just to kind of circle back 
Um, I use white supremacist. You could also add capitalist heteronormative. Uh, you know, add your your word and dominant culture kind of absolutely embodies it all. But uh, that's just kind of how I've been trained to say it. Uh, but it, it influences everything in our society, right? And that's kind of the the deal that I want I want to help contribute to, right? The the voices we hear in the world of fitness, the voices we hear in the world of whatever you you see, right? Um, from the ownership of professional sports teams in America, like all this stuff, right? I mean, that's that's another prime example, right? That uses the stories and literally the bodies of black and brown folks to make all this money, right? And yet, at the end of the day, who is benefiting the most? From yeah. It is not the athletes. It is not the athletes, right? It is the owners who are benefiting the most, who have the least skin in the game, but who see the biggest reward and who cite the least sources. That is why, that is why it's so easy for teams to discount the work of Colin Kaepernick, who literally threw away his professional football career to tell an important story. Yeah. And yet, right, hundreds of thousands of people still show up to NFL football games every week. Yeah. Right? And millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars are spent weekly, monthly on watching football just football right <clears throat> forgetting <clears throat> forgetting the stories of all the folks who contribute for it to even exist right, right. because if <clears throat> if it's a bunch of Tom Brady's out there right nobody's fucking watching right? Right. no one cares because it's gonna be boring it's not gonna it's not going to matter it won't have the same value and yet we erase the contributions of folks and i think i probably circle back to race quite often because it's the most blatant example that Absolutely. um folks who look like me are least likely to talk about right and unfortunately <clears throat> Uh, or fortunately, or whatever, folks who look like me have a tendency to um, highlight various attributes of their story to discount their privilege, right? To discount the fact that you need to stop. Stop. To discount the the ease with which they walk through this world, at the ease with which they can operate within a school system, a religious system, a university system, yeah. a police system. Okay, I got to take care of this dog. Oh, dude, you're fine. Um, come on. Come on. Um, the, <laughs> that's and And we... They do not cite... 
anything for real, right? They don't say what's actually happening, right? I'll give an example from my own life because there's there are times, right, where I would tell my story in a particular way to try and. Sorry, people, you get to hear my dog poop. (laughs) There you go, dude. Um, and here's a couple pancakes for you, dog. There you go. Um, that there's ways that I can tell my own story that make it sound like I have a particular that I that I was lacking in my privilege that I I didn't have it easy. Right. Right. Single parent household. Okay, great. My single parent household was headed by a person who had a college degree, who had their own father. Well, both my parents had college degrees. Both my parents were raised in a Christian faith, which is the norm in the United States, which allows a particular privilege. They both had college degrees. They both had parents with college degrees. Hey. You need to stop. <laughs> Which allows for a different experience and a different different level. I'm so sorry. A different level of engagement with the world. Yeah. You can keep talking because he's gonna keep going. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Now, hey, buddy. there are there are two things that I wanted to Is that bring up. Come across as as well as it could have because we're having a hard time on my oh you're fine you're fine so there are two things so pointing back to what you were saying in regards to music i think it's fascinating that when you look at what i affectionately refer to as bro country which is just pop country music for white men who enjoy fireball Mm -hmm. um I have noticed, and there's one song in particular, and it's because my wife and daughter love it, and it makes my insides itch, but um, there's a song that they they like that used to come on the radio, and I detest Bro Country for a number of reasons, but mainly because it's terrible, and because it uses contributions of black people in music hip hop any genre well to be honest jazz any yeah. any genre yeah but in Rock. terms of yeah in terms of what what i'm noticing is the trend right now mm-hmm. i'm noticing i'm noticing this i'm noticing a lot more hi hats and bass kicks that mm-hmm. are very exclusive to hip hop and i'm noticing inflections in country singers' voices that lend themselves more to rapping than it does to singing. And so this song in particular that I'm thinking about and others like it make use of hip-hop. Yet, you will never hear this country singer ever, ever say, yeah, I, I was informed by so-and-so I, I listened to this you know this track and it 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 made me feel a certain way and so i wanted to incorporate that 
And, you know, I'm just a huge fan of so-and-so's music. And so, you know, you should be too. Like there was, there's never any of that. Right. But it's, again, it, it, it takes it back to pirating something from a non-dominant culture and making it your own. Right. And so I've noticed that in terms of what we have been discussing in terms of sources as being something that we have absorbed in two dominant culture and have not batted an eye at. Yeah. You know, so so that's one thing. The second thing that I wanted to bring up is you were talking about Cap. And I just I think this is fascinating that dominant culture informs the narrative. So the story that Colin Kaepernick is telling becomes demonized. You know, it, it, it turns into Colin Kaepernick hates America and veterans. And anybody who stands behind his cause also hates America and veterans. Right. And yet what we've done is we have tokenized Kanye West. Dominant culture has has tokenized Kanye West. And Kanye, you will never listen to this podcast, but I love you. We can have coffee and we can talk about this once you want to. But we have made Kanye West and Uncle Tom because of his affection, his terrible and uninformed and bizarre affection for Donald Trump. And the narrative that we tell is that Colin Kaepernick is is a devil who hates America and veterans. But this Kanye West, man, this 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 guy right here gets it. He gets us. He's he is pro America. <sighs> He really understands, and y'all need to to do what Kanye is doing because Kanye gets the big picture. But the truth of the of the matter is, Kanye West is just appeasing a white narrative. Right. Kanye West is not telling the full story. He is not speaking a different truth. He is going along with the narrative of the dominant culture, and they're eating that shit up. But because somebody decided to swim against the stream and against the current, somebody like a a Colin Kaepernick who said, maybe the system is wrong. Now, he's he's a devil and Kanye is an upstanding, tokenized black citizen. Yeah. And everybody should aspire to be like Kanye. I just... Again, that that goes to the fact that dominant culture determines the narrative. They determine how we view Colin Kaepernick just as well as how we view somebody like Kanye. And we all know whose ideology and whose worldview is more informed. You and I know that. Yet, 
who do white people say is more important? The guy who agrees yeah. with them. Exactly. And I think that's, um, I mean, I don't want to just talk about hip hop, but there are particular narratives in hip hop which like are rooted in particular experiences. But if we look at, again, who owns record labels that sign that sign artists right and the story that they're able to tell versus like because you know Macklemore has one perspective but then there's this other amazing human named Chance the Rapper from Chicago who tells another beautiful story and has also not signed to and I'm so glad you brought up Kanye because I was just listening to a podcast with Joe Budden uh, and which I don't know how I feel about, but Kanye or yeah, me it. either. <laughs> and I asked him some hard hitting questions, and it was a great conversation. And uh, he was the big message he wanted to share with artists, and I think it can go kind of without telling, but you know, particularly for young black artists, the importance, the value of having or owning the rights and publishing to your own music right owning your masters and your publishing Mm -hmm. is what he was talking about and why is that well if someone else owns your story Mm. they get they can control and that's good story gets told and they can control they don't have to cite you as the source they get to be the source they get to get the money like you might get the the front of the money up front like the stack of bills but the wealth the long term that's good the long road of you know this song or that song the artist never sees right and so and that's just another form right because record labels are structured much the same way as nfl teams or whatever where people they'll sign folks to and throw a little bit of money in the big scheme of things at people you know, which a little bit of money to them is a ton of money to anybody else. And that money doesn't last a lifetime. Right. Just as they won't see the money for a lifetime. They'll see the money till the end of their deal and then they don't own their music anymore. Right. And And so I guess as we talk about this and maybe as we start to wrap up today's conversation that um, while we still live in a world where there's a um, dominant culture that erases, because that is what it does, erases the stories of folks and does not cite where things come from. And we see this, I think, most profoundly in music and art and things like that but also in academics and religion and just about everything right that there is space or and if there's not space right there's an opportunity to create space for right. uh, to imagine a or, or oh, i want to say it's a radical imaginary or something like that but something along the lines of we are able to and that I cannot recall black art author who said that that a, a radical imaginary right but I know that my mentor Dylan Miner cited somebody what about that what was or, the phrase a radical imaginary right so like 
So it's uh, imagining and a, a world where the voices, the stories of black and brown folks are valued. Um, that is what the goal mm. needs to be. And that's where the, the work can happen, right? And so that's why even us having this conversa- conversation is all well and good, but um, the real work happens after this episode ends. Right. And in our daily lives, we um, give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. We have conversations, we listen to perspectives that are not of the dominant culture and are not maybe white Christian heteronormative capitalist like right paradigm right right um but that maybe challenge the the story in a particular way and give credit to those stories right to allow the the larger narrative to expand in what it looks like right um and it's going to take a long time it's going to take a lot of people working together that um it's going to take a lot of healing because but um, I think that's, at least from my perspective, what I'd like to leave with. Actually, there's one more thing I'd like to leave with because it got cut off of the last episode. <laughs> Go for and it. I would like to um, cite our sources and express my gratitude to my wife, Alyssa Fleming. Um, L does art on Instagram, who actually did our logo. There you go. Um, and... Um, this is very timely now is that my wife is a black woman and she does art and her art is not always received as well as maybe it would be if she was a white woman. Right. Right. One of the conversations we have is like, um, the maybe mediocre or not as skilled artists out there who get a lot of, a lot of shine. Right. Um, and yet that there are a lot of artists who are very talented, have a rich education, et cetera, et cetera, that don't, um, we don't see as readily because of the stories that get told, right? right? This is not what, this is not the art you're allowed to make. This is not the art you're expected to make. It's not the art that we're going to pay for, right? And so I just wanted to kind of finish my piece in that, like, I want to express my gratitude to my wife for her creation of our Dead Man's Coffee Club logo. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, we wouldn't have that beautiful art without her. We would have our own sketches, which um, are not of the same caliber. Are, are, are terrible at best, you know? <laughs> so, I'm no um, artist. That's where I want to kind of finish up my pieces. Absolutely. Express gratitude um, and cite our source because... Uh, I think it's something that's going to stand the test of time. And um, as the Dead Man's Coffee Club continues to evolve over time, right, over the next few years, it will uh, it'll still be there. And I appreciate my wife for creating that um, for us. Absolutely. Um, so that's where I would like to finish off yeah. today. And let me... Just follow behind, and I do want to say this. White people, I'm not telling you, we're not telling you that your narrative is worthless. We're not telling 
you that the story that you're telling has no truth or value. But what we're saying is your dominant story does not own all of truth's real estate. Right. And it is very, very, very important to be informed by other voices because I don't know if you know this or not, but here's a fun fact. You are not the only people group in the world. And so as a result of that, other people groups also have their own stories, also have their own narratives that are just as valuable. And we can learn from all of them. There is truth in all of them. God is not merely found in white narrated Christianity. Correct. He can be found in indigenous practices just the same as long as we are open to a perspective that is not our own. And I think that that's where we have to get to is that we have to be willing to ask that question that I posed earlier. What if I'm wrong about this? And not necessarily what if everything that I know is wrong, but maybe what if there are holes that need to be filled, that can only be filled, that can only be given value through voices and narratives that don't look like mine. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that we need to, to continue to think about. And seriously, big shout out to your wife for the logo because I love it. I've actually got it on my computer screen at work and people ask me about it all the time. And uh, that's been really cool. I've also brought some of my wife's art. Um, my wife does a number of things and she's a, a vintage goods finder as well as a tapestry maker as well as an artist of uh, of, of many, many skills, a jack of all trades. And she has I've been bringing some of her stuff into work. But, you know, Shout out to the homie, Dr. Carl Ellis and Dr. Eric Mason, as well as Lecrae again, because many of the things that I've said today are things that I have learned. Again, I can't take credit. Just like you, you know, brought up your mentors, I can't take credit for my perspective as being something that has just dawned upon me oh for sure it has been gifted to me by men and women like the ones that i've just mentioned it has been gifted to me through conversations with my wife it has been gifted to me through experiences that i've had with minorities and so so yes you are absolutely right and i think that that's very important that we we cite those sources and I am thankful for any and everyone who has contributed to this conversation in some way, form, or fashion and continues to engage us in that conversation, hold us to a standard, and encourages us to continue this fight. Definitely. And I'll just throw in um, Dr. David Stovall and Dr. Jeff Duncan Andrade, who have 
informed a lot of my perspective on education and how it can be imagined differently who both work a lot in critical race theory which so again not a religious dude but um i when i'm doing more academic work right i try and make sure that i'm not just uh reading reading the work of old white folks who everybody reads right all right folks all right um, this has been an episode of the dead man's coffee club you can find us at the dead man's coffee club on the instagrams we don't have any other social media um, no so that's even that is too much for us from time to time I think we last updated it in September. Oh, I'll update Um, it today. um, All right, buddy. So with that, with the screaming baby, that was it. All right, have a beautiful day, folks. All right, I'll see you guys. Bye.